Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And in there's Bibles in under the seat in front of you because we're going to look closely at this letter. And if you didn't bring one, it's on page 1169 in the, the Bible underneath the seat. You're sitting in the seat in front of you. There should be one. So I'd hope that you would take an opportunity. I'd like to have everybody have a Bible in their hand for this today. We're going to do something unique that we haven't done before. So on page 1,169, and you can find that. Let's pray together. Father, as we look into your word, help us to be intentional about opening your word and if we open it just on Sunday morning, Lord, we're not intentional. We're intentionally neglecting your word. Help us, Lord God, to grasp the significance of your word and being purposeful to read it and practice it and allow it to have its way in our life to guide us. like a compass, like the white and yellow line on the highway. But even more so, Lord, because your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to both joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Help us to revere your word, respect your word, honor your word. Obey your word. Teach your word to our children through our own obedience to it. And we're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're coming to the close of this book. We've spent some time going through Thessalonians verse by verse. And then we took the break over the Easter weeks where we talked about the resurrection and then some time finishing up and how we're come to the, the culmination in chapter 5 where Paul gives um, at least eight specific commands, directives as he closes this book to these dear people that he's writing to. And so I'm going to read from... Chapter 5, verse 16, and we spend time going through each of these three, um, the triangle here of be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I simply took and wrote it down in eight simple commands. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. And I'm thinking as Paul was coming to the end, what would he want to leave with the people? Maybe he wasn't thinking in a list necessarily, but the Holy Spirit, who's the author of Scripture, knows that sometimes 
putting things in order for us helps us in a concise way to remember. So from verse 19, it says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So one thing we haven't done before is actually when we finished a letter to go back and listen to what the scripture said. He says, have this letter. I charge you, verse 27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And I'm going to read the letter. I read the letter through five times this morning. It takes about seven minutes. At I'm a slow reader, but I'm familiar, familiar with the letter. So it's not going to be an enduring length of time. Seven to eight minutes, maybe nine minutes, because I'll slow down a little bit. But you could think about how quick that is. As we wake up in the morning, before we start our day, it takes seven to eight minutes to read through five chapters of First Thessalonians. But if you're like me, you often say to yourself, I don't have time this morning. I'll read it later. And we never get back to the word. And we never get back to later. Later doesn't later comes, but then something else is in our face. So as we spent time through this letter, you know and I know that you could give comment on every single verse. There's background, and Paul's writing about, he's writing to people he spent time with, he built relationships with, so there's more context than we even know, because we didn't live through this. But when you read the scripture, it gives the scripture a chance to work in our hearts and our mind, and to challenge us, and exhort us, and encourage us, and the Bible tells us to read to one another, and to read publicly. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to go back to those eight things at the end, make just a few short comments. But I want us to just together go through this letter as I read it. So you would follow along, and maybe you have a pen with you, and you go, oh, I remember this. I want to go back to this. I want to go back to this and spend some time praying over this particular verse. Or I remember this part in the sermon. I remember what I was going through um, months ago. And so let the word of God have its way with us. Let it direct us. Let it guide us. And so I'm going to start. So seven to eight minutes, right, if you just read through it without stopping. And so I, I just want us to know it's not an overwhelming task, but it's an important task. It's a serious task. And I used to hear stories that uh, – Dads used to read to the family from the family Bible on uh, at lunchtime or breakfast time. And can you imagine that happening? I, I can't imagine it happening in my home. I look back and I long for it. In, uh, so let's, you follow along as I read. 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know that we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which were in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, 
our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our, our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept saying that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. Now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. You yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. For he died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Thank you, church. Thank you for letting me read through the letter and uh, just remind us how critically important Scripture is. It isn't what uh, the preacher says that matters as much as what the Word says, and the preacher is to do the best he can through study and time and effort and obedience to present um, a clear understanding of Scripture. So I just want to take a little bit just to cap over the last few things that Paul said. And I'm just going to start with be joyful always. And we spent time on this verse already, and I came up with a little phrase because it works for me and helps me remember, make the choice to rejoice. Let that sink into your heart and your mind. Make the choice to rejoice. You can be grumpy or you can be joyful because the joy that Paul's offering us to live in is the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
it's acknowledging the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because in the beginning of this letter, he said that you received Paul and you received the word with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace. So if you have no love, no peace, no joy in your life, in a real way, it's your responsibility because God has made it available through the person of his Holy Spirit. Acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit, that he offers joy as we walk with him. So do a joy check on your own heart and your own life. And if you're a joyless person, take notice. Don't blame other people. Realize that you've been missing out and you've been grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time this morning to cover all the struggles that are possible in a person's life. But he's commanding us not to be happy. Happiness has to do with circumstances. He's talking, commanding us to be joyful. Joyful is relational. It has to be has to do with a relationship with the God of Scripture who doesn't change by circumstances. He is not changed by circumstances. We are. And he's the God who commands us and invites us to be joyful always. Pray continually. We've been talking, we, last couple of weeks we talked about prayer. Prayer takes practice, practice, practice. It was interesting. I had many of you praying this week for my sisters. We went up fishing, and in the beginning of the week, she, had to, she hadn't practiced for quite some time fishing, right? And the hook set is pretty important. And uh, so Friday morning, when we were finished fishing, we had one last opportunity to go out, and she wanted to go out, so I took her out. And the, the few days before that, practice paid off and so when she had a bite and she set the hook and she goes oh i got him this time I said see practice makes progress and we were in a conversation at the time about prayer trying to help her understand that you don't have to carry all these burdens practice praying practice casting your cares upon god because he cares for you and if you're not praying until you get into a horrible situation, you're going to do what you're going to do because you haven't practiced. So practice prayer. That's why he says pray continually, not just when you're in a horrible, difficult, strenuous situation, but you pray consistently, continually. And remember the model we looked at. Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us our daily bread, learning to trust on God. Forgive us as we forgive others, and lead us not into temptation. The simple model of prayer. And then Paul goes on, give thanks in all circumstances. Notice what it says, give thanks in all circumstances. It does not say give thanks for your circumstances. It says give thanks in your circumstances. 
So sometimes circumstances are good. Sometimes circumstances are not so good. It all depends on perspective and what the situation is. And if we remember that there's a God at work behind all the scenes and all the circumstances, it says that in Romans 8, God is at work. In all things, God is at work. Things don't work. God works in and through things. And so he tells us, give thanks in all circumstances, knowing that God is good, knowing that God is there. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Number four, the Scripture tells us in other places to not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And you can say, well, what does that mean, quench or grieve? Think about it in a relationship. You're in a relationship with a person. If you sin against that other person, there's a breach in that relationship. But we say, well, that's obvious. Of course, disobeying the Holy Spirit. Of course, sin is grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. But there's another one that we forget about because it's so simple. We overlook it. Neglect. To neglect the Holy Spirit. Simple example works for me. When I haven't seen Kathy for a while, and she says, okay, it's me time. I'm starting to learn what that me time looks like. Me time means it's about her, and I focus on her. And it reminds me, when he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire, the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to keep in step with the Spirit. We're supposed to walk with the Spirit. It just means in a cooperating relationship where we're acknowledging his authority and his presence. And we grieve the Holy Spirit. We put out the Holy Spirit's fire by ignoring him. It isn't that I'm going to, you know, totally uh, scream curse, harm my wife, but I do often find myself neglecting her. And you think about when Paul says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. If you ever sit around a campfire, you neglect putting wood on the fire because you get busy talking, guess what happens to your fire? Starts to go down, right? So don't put out the Spirit's fire by ignoring him. Keep yourself paying attention to the Holy Spirit in your journey through what you're walking through. Paul goes on to say, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Prophecy here isn't necessarily telling the future. Prophecy is scripture. So don't treat scripture with contempt. Don't take scripture for granted would be on one end of the spectrum. Totally outright rejecting scripture would be on the other end of the spectrum. So somewhere in the middle, we learn to walk a balanced walk of not treating scripture with contempt. That we're obedient to it, that we recognize it has authority. It's the authority in our life. With the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit applying the scripture to our life. Next, he says, test everything. Simple, simple, three-point process of testing everything. 
So anything that comes into your life, whether it comes from in a relationship, where it comes through the media, where it comes through circumstances, situations, test everything. Number one, will this honor or dishonor God? So that's a test, right? It says find out what pleases the Lord. We find out what pleases the Lord by studying Scripture, by visiting with other Christians who've studied Scripture. And so we can ask, test everything. Will this honor God? Will this decision honor God? Will this relationship honor God? Will this pursuit honor God? And next, will it harm others or bless others? So when it says test everything, will it honor God? Or will it, will it dishonor God? Will it bless others or will it harm others? And then the third one, will this hinder my walk with God? So when you're testing something, the standard by which you test it is your relationship with God. Is this going to hinder my walk with God or is this going to advance my walk with God? If you're at a major decision point in your life and you're trying to decide whether this is right or wrong or good or bad or helpful or unhelpful, ask yourself those simple questions. Will this honor God? Will this harm others? Will this hinder my walk with God? So you're just going to test everything. Next he says, hold on to the good. Hold on to the good. It means you have to First, find the good in Scripture, what's good, and then hold on to it. You have to hold on to it because there's a fight. We have an enemy who wants to dull our hearts. He wants to dull our minds. He wants to bring things into our view, into our sight, that are going to distract us from our walk with God, from our marriages, from our families. So we're supposed to hold on to the good. How do we hold on to the good? Three simple P's that I put down. Purpose to do it, plan, and practice. I've been just convicted lately as I'm studying on my own about this word called intention. And the guy made a simple statement. I was listening to a a message. And he said, do you intend to be like Jesus? Because if you intend to be like Jesus, you will be. But if you don't intend to be like Jesus, you won't be. And so intention, intentionality, purpose in your heart to follow hard after God. Purpose in your heart to become like Jesus. Hold on to the good. Fiercely. Remain steadfastly. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, Scripture tells us. So be purposeful. The next was simply have a plan. Have a plan. Tomorrow morning, in the first hour of your morning, in the first ten minutes of your morning, do you have a plan for that time? Is your Bible close enough to you when you wake up in the morning? That's the first thing you grab? Do you have some plan other than getting dressed and getting out the door? 
Do you have any plan that includes intentional time with God? So purpose and plan. And then the third one is practice. Practice holding on to the good. Practice. Be intentional. And then Paul says, avoid every kind of evil. Verse 22. We're not going to know what good is and what evil is unless we're looking at the standard, which is Scripture. Avoid every kind of evil. The stuff that is blanket, outright evil, and the stuff that is insidiously hidden evil. Avoid it all. Simple plan, again. Three accountabilities. Number one, are you accountable to God for avoiding evil? Or do you have your own scale? If you're accountable to God, he ups the scale. Accountable to his word, accountable to his spirit in avoiding every kind of evil. And number two, accountable to yourself. You know, as Martin Luther said, it is never good to go against God and conscience. And if any one of us, for any length of time, are going against our conscience, our conscience can be seared as with a branding iron, Scripture says. Never, ever, ever, ever practice going against your conscience. Especially a conscience that's trained by Scripture over a period of time. That conscience is the practice learning to listen to the Holy Spirit as he guides our conscience. But we're accountable to God to avoid evil, accountable to ourself, and then we need to have people in our life, trusted people with whom we can share some of our darkest struggles, some of our greatest joys. So you're accountable to a friend. You're accountable to someone other than yourself, so are you accountable to God? But you know and I know we can fool God in our mind. We think we can. It says we stand before him whose eyes see everything. We don't fool him. We just harm ourselves by thinking we fool him. But if we have a person with skin on in our life that we're accountable to, and we say, listen, I want to grow by this time next month, I want to memorize this portion of Scripture. By this time next month, I want to have built a relationship with this particular co-worker. By this time six months from now, I want to have read through this much of Scripture. Or by this time next month, I want to develop this relationship with this younger person who I'm trying to disciple. Can you help me be accountable? Can you call me and check on me in a relationship? In a loving relationship where iron sharpens iron, so one person strengthens and sharpens another person. So these simple ways to close the book. And then he says, verse 22, 23, may God himself. So this isn't something we do in our own strength. This is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son working together. Look what he says. May God himself, the God of peace, 
sanctify you through and through. There will be a day because God is at work. He is sanctifying us as we give him our life. He is making us to be like Jesus. That's the sanctifying process as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He is at work living in us, taking over more and more of the life that we give to him because it's already his. But it says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. That means wash you again and again and again in the living water, in the living word, in his presence. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. We can trust him. We must trust him. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. Brothers, pray for us. Isn't that interesting? The person, Paul, who wrote all these things, who walked this walk, is asking these baby Christians, these baby Thessalonica Christians, pray for us. Acknowledging that it's not in his strength. It's in the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's in the strength of God. He wants to walk this out. He's inviting them to pray for him. Pray for us. Greet your brothers with a holy kiss. That simply just means embrace one another. You don't have to walk up and kiss somebody in our culture that's kind of freaky, right? But in that culture, it wasn't. But it just means be there for one another in that greeting even. Grace and peace to you. And then read this letter. And we read the letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we can celebrate finishing working through this letter. And God, we pray that the letter would continue to work through us and in us, that your word would have its way, that your spirit would be our guide. God, that you would continue. You said you would. You would sanctify us through and through, that you would wash us again and again, that you would bring cleansing, forgiveness, holiness, that we could walk a walk that is pleasing to you. Lord, as we close this letter, I pray that you would direct us as a church family where in your word you would have us go next. Use your word to direct your church, Lord, as you always have done. Help us, God, to be purposeful in cooperating with your word as you speak to our hearts to rebuke, to correct, to challenge, to exhort, to urge and spur us on to love and good deeds. We're thankful for every word that you've given us 
that you preserved in your book for us to read, to study, to apply, to live by. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.